Welcome to A Breath of Fresh Air with Brentley Jordan, where we take in words of life about real life. You're listening to the last episode of an eight-episode series answering one overarching question. Who do you think you are? Throughout these eight episodes, we've been gathering information about you from the one who created you. In order to answer our overarching question, we've been spending time answering these four questions. Number one, why do you exist? Number two, who are you? Number three, what are you supposed to do? And number four, how do you grow? In this final episode, we'll answer the last part of our last question. How do you grow? In our last episode, we talked about the first part of the answer to this question. How do you grow? You pursue God. We talked about the fantastic and mysterious blessing of spending time with God anywhere and everywhere. Another part of spiritual growth is fleeing from evil. I like Paul's metaphor in Hebrews when he illustrates the sin that hinders and entangles us. Have you ever gone jogging while wearing ankle weights? Or have you ever attempted to run while one of your legs was tied to someone else's leg? What about have you ever run a race while giving someone else a piggyback ride? Keep these mental pictures in your mind as As we listen to this verse from Hebrews 12, verse 1, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. So how are you running? Entangled or free? God's desire is that we would run free from sin's oppressive hold on us. If you think about it, our contentment with our sinful behavior is like an Olympic runner deciding to run a race while wearing ankle weights, being tied to another person, or carrying someone on his back. That's insane. No competitive runner would ever attempt that. So, How do we let go of this sin that entangles us? How do we flee from evil? There are two steps that I want to consider with you. Number one, call it out. And number two, resist it. Colossians 2.8 says this, See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world, rather than on Christ. What do you think the term hollow and deceptive philosophy means? Hollow means empty as opposed to deep and meaningful. If something is deceptive, that basically means it's a lie. Philosophy is a term for our way of thinking. So hollow and deceptive philosophy refers to an empty way of thinking that is a lie. Can you think of an example of an empty way of thinking that is a lie. Here's some examples that come to my mind. If I make more money, I'll be happy. If I look at pornography, I'll be satisfied. Gaining the approval of popular kids is worth making fun of others. Those are all empty ways of thinking that are 
lies. They are hollow and deceptive philosophies. They depend on faulty human traditions as opposed to the truth of Christ. The world tells us that things like money and pornographic images will bring satisfaction, but that's just not true in an ultimate sense. They look appealing and sometimes provide some very temporary satisfaction, but they cannot promise happiness and satisfaction in the long term. Every time you give in to sin, you are choosing to believe a hollow and deceptive philosophy. We need to call it for what it is. It's empty and it's dangerous. 1 Peter 5, 8 and 9 says this, Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Have you ever seen one of those old-fashioned mouse traps. It's made out of a piece of wood and a small metal bar connected to a spring and held back by a small metal latch. The idea is you set a piece of cheese on the very sensitive target zone on that piece of wood, and once that cheese is slightly disrupted, it triggers the metal latch to release the bar, which snaps shut forcefully on the target zone where the cheese had been placed. The result is that the mouse that began nibbling on the delicious cheese immediately gets its back broken and its body trapped. Imagine being that mouse. You're walking along, minding your own business, and you see a huge, tasty-looking piece of cheese. It happens to smell like your favorite kind of cheese. And your genuine excitement over the cheese and the thought of how incredible it will taste You scamper directly towards it to dive in to enjoy. As you scamper over, your heart begins to beat faster and this pleasant sense of anticipation swells throughout your body. You're so looking forward to tasting that cheese. If you knew the cheese was only there to lure you into a horrible trap that would break your back and trap you until you're dead, certainly you would resist it, right? That's how temptation works. Satan uses it to lure you into a terrible trap of sin. Call it out. It's empty and it's dangerous. It destroys us from the inside out and it clouds our view of God. That brings me to my second point. To flee from sin is to, number one, call it out, and number two, resist it. So, how do we resist evil? 1 Corinthians 10.13 says this, No temptation has seized you except what is common to man, and God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted... He will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. Every time you are tempted, there is a way out. God provides a way out. And it has nothing to do with your power or some innate goodness in you. It has to do with the direction of your gaze and the power of His Spirit. In every temptation, you are faced with a choice to follow God or to follow after an alternative pursuit. 
with every bit of inclination to set your gaze on an alternative pursuit, the evil one gets a tighter grip on your heart and tugs it in his direction. He is out to destroy you, and he is more powerful than you are. But be encouraged. There is a way out. One of the most consistent messages in all of Scripture is this, trust in the Lord your God. As you set your gaze on the Lord, His Spirit will fill you up and rescue you from temptation. His rescue is not based on the power of your will, but on the direction of your gaze. With your trusting gaze in His direction, you harness the power of the Creator of the universe. The power of the evil one is no match for the power of the Creator. You resist evil by looking to the Lord. What do we see when we look to the Lord? We see that He is the mighty God and creator of the universe. We exist to glorify and enjoy Him. We are His children, created by Him and loved by Him. We are called and empowered to love Him and love others with the kind of love that He Himself poured out on us. We are completely and thoroughly defined by His work of love and grace. So, who do you think you are? It's my prayer that you now realize in a deeper sense than you have before that you have been created with divine purpose to glorify and enjoy the one and only sovereign and holy God of the universe. You are a child of God, loved by God, called to respond with love for him and love for others. That's why we've closed each podcast with this prayer from Ephesians. Father, I pray that each listener in this very moment would be strengthened today with power through your spirit in their inner being so that you, Jesus, would dwell in their hearts through faith. I pray that each listener would be rooted and established in your message of love so that they may have power to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. In your name, Jesus, I pray. Amen. Well, thank you so much for listening to this eight-episode series entitled, Who Do You Think You Are? I hope you'll share this with a friend and live in the joy of knowing who you are in Christ.